You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast recorded with Hashem's great help in Ramah Pesach Mishra 5769 2009. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Va'ira. In this week's Parsha, so we begin to get a taste of what it means when God, when Hashem is ready to take the Jewish people out of their slavery, bring them to redemption. This is something that we need to focus in on, we need to understand, because of course we're waiting for that final redemption that God willing will come very soon. And so when we look at the story, there are a few points that jump out, at least when I read the story, things that bother me, we need to understand, and I think we can take a tremendous lesson from them. The first point that's clear throughout the verses, throughout the story, is that there's a lesson that's supposed to be taught here, specifically to one person, that's, that's at least how it seems on the surface. God says that all of the things that we're going to see that are going to happen, is that we're going to bring a lesson to Paro. Pharaoh is going to learn his lesson, at first he's going to harden his heart, he's not going to be interested in letting the Jews out, he's going to have plague after plague, difficulty after difficulty, all building up to the final difficulty of Makas Bechoros, the death of the firstborn, where he's going to be ready to just send the Jews out, don't stay here anymore, he just kicks out the Jews. The question that always bothers me when I read these verses is, why is it so important? Why is it so important to God? Why is it so important to us, the reader, to understand that Paro has to be put in his place? Why is it that Paro has to be the one to kick the Jews out? Why God? Why couldn't God just go and say, listen, we're going to have a miraculous exodus here. The Jewish people are going to leave Mitzrayim, they're going to leave Egypt, and they're going to leave in a miraculous fashion. So, you know, once we're doing miracles, let's make the ultimate miracle. Just, you know, like, make all the Jewish people disappear from Goshen, from the place where the Jews lived, and let them appear right next to Harsina, next to Mount Sinai. Why does it have to be this buildup? Why does it seem like Paro himself has to kick the Jews out, he has to take the Jews out? Or said differently, Paro himself has to be shown the, the, the wrongness of his ways, the wrongness of his adamant refusal to allow the Jews to leave. Why does it have to be in this surah, in this fashion? Another question that we need to understand is we're looking at each of these plagues, so each of them contains a message. Each of them contains some kind of lesson. It's a plague. It's coming to give a smack. When God smacks, when God hits, so there's retribution, of course, in it for all of the years of slavery that the Egyptians had done. However, besides for that just being a retribution, there's a lesson. There's a lesson that's supposed to be learned. What what was the Egyptians, what was the message that they were supposed to learn? And what's the message for us reading the story, the Jewish people who are experiencing the exodus themselves then and we now entering into a stage hopefully soon of the final redemption how do we understand what what happened then what's the lesson for us so let's take a look at the first plague the first maka and i think there's a tremendous lesson inside of this maka that we can take with us and i'd like to point out how there's actually a makas dam a similar plague that's occurring this very day how is that okay so let's let's look at the plague itself what was the plague the first plague that god that god brought down upon the egyptians in egypt the first plague was makas dam makas dam means that all of the rivers the the nile it turned into blood now what was the message of this plague? What was it coming to teach the Egyptians? What was it coming to teach us? And I think that the understanding is, we need to t- first understand that the Yeor, the Nile River, so the people of Egypt, they viewed the Nile River as a god. Now you need to understand, what does that mean that they viewed the Nile River as a god? How, how is that a god? It's just water, you know, what, is, what does it mean? So there's a fundamental mistake that we make, being that we live in a time where unless you go to certain places like India, there isn't really too much idol worship, there isn't people bowing down to idols that's going on in the world, in the Western world for sure. So we need to understand what does it mean that someone, the classic example of idolatry is avodas kachavim, 
serving the stars, bowing down to the stars, bowing down to the sun, the moon, the stars, etc. What does that mean? Why would somebody bow down? Someone who's intellectual, a human being, just like me and you, with intellectual capacities that are very great. They weren't dumber in those times than, than we are now. In fact, there was a tremendous amount of wisdom that they had then. And the Egyptians were on the top of all of the culture of, of, that, of that time. So what does it mean? What were they doing bowing down to the river? What did that mean? So we need to understand that the ancients, when they believed in these different powers, these different gods, like lowercase g, the reason that they believed in them was not be, they weren't mistaken in a certain sense. It was true that there was a certain power that God sent down, as we learned in the Ramchal, in the in Der Hashem, in, in the Daily Kabbalah lesson. So God actually sends down His power, His Shefa, the influx into the world through different mediums. And one of the mediums that God sends it through is the stars. He sends it through the sun and the moon. And you have to know what this means. You have to understand it because... Obviously, they are celestial bodies. They are, you know, the stars are suns out there many millions of miles away. But there is a power that somehow comes through them. And thus, what the ancients, they believed in God. They believed that there was a celestial being who created everything. However, at the very beginning, so their mistake was that they thought that God created the world. And, well, He's too high and mighty, heaven forbid, He's too high and mighty for us to bow down to Him. So, well... Who is it appropriate for us to serve? Well, we can't bow down to him. He's too far away. Let's let's access the one that's closer to us, and that was the stars, and that was the moon, and that was the, that was the sun, and that's how they originally started bowing down. This is all according to the Rambam, Maimonides. So that's how they originally started it, and they were completely mistaken in that they viewed it that God was far off and didn't care and wasn't involved directly. But that was not true. But in a certain sense, they were correct in that the, there is power that comes through the stars, that comes through the moon, that comes through the the sun, and so that's what they were bowing down to. So that when we talk about Avodah Zarah, idolatry, so we're talking about a concept where someone's bowing down to the thing that's an intermediary to a lower level and not to the, the source which is God himself. We do actually find different forms of this mistake that even have come down till today in certain, in one of the major world religions where we find that uh, people make the mistake they don't actually access directly God himself but rather they access someone who's an intermediary but that's an un unfortunate mistake. In Judaism, so we believe that there's a one God, there are no intermediaries, we can directly access Him, He's directly in charge of us, He's directly involved in our lives. That's that's how the Jewish people, that's what our Messiah is, our tradition that God gave down to Moses on Sinai, and we have to this very day. But the mistake of the Egyptians also, there was a st similar type of mistake, what was the Nile? So in those days, the entire economy rested upon agriculture. So if there was rain, so then you could have success. If there was lacks of rain, if there was a drought, so then there would be, it would be very dangerous for the people because they would simply have no food. So Egypt was unique at that time in the ancient world in that it was the only place, perhaps, that had a, a river, this Nile River, that was constantly flowing through, the, through Egypt. And even if there was no rain, they would take the water from the Nile and it would irrigate all of the different places in Egypt. And so they had constant flow of agriculture that was always happening. That being the case, they viewed the Nile as the source of their parnas, of their livelihood. That's why they viewed it as a god because it was the thing that was the closest to them that they viewed as giving them their livelihood. Now it's interesting, important to point out that Paro, when Moshe, when Moses comes and says to Paro, to Pharaoh, that to let the Jews out, their God wants to wants them to serve them in the in the wilderness. So Paro responds, I never heard of this God that you're talking about. And that doesn't mean that he never heard of God, that he didn't believe in a greater power that created everything. He never heard of the God that Moses spoke about, which was the name Yudke Vavke, which is Hashem's name which denotes 
that God is intimately involved in creation. He had heard of Elohim. Elohim denotes the fact that God is in charge. He's behind all of the physical forces. He's behind the Teva. He's behind nature. So he'd heard of Elohim, but he never heard of Yudke Vavke, the name that Hashem is intimately involved with the world, which was what Hashem was coming to do with all of these makos. He was coming to show that he is, in fact, intimately involved in the entire world. He's intimately involved in the Jewish people. He's intimately involved in the destiny of mankind. Now when we try to understand, what was this first plague, this first plague where God is going and He's going to strike the water, the Nile of Egypt with blood? What is the effect? What is the message? The answer is that God was saying, as it were, you Egyptians, you view the Nile as a God. You view all the intermediaries as something important, something to be worshipped, something that you can't access God directly, that God isn't directly involved in your lives. That's a very fatal mistake. And that's what God was coming to say. With, with, by striking it with blood, He was coming to say that this has nothing, this is dead. Blood represents death in a certain sense. God was coming to say, your mistake is a complete mistake. The Nile has nothing of its own. It has no power of its own. It's completely dead. It's completely, it's not what provides you with your livelihood. In truth, I, God was saying, I am behind everything. I'm the one who provides you with your livelihood. The fact that you're able to eat food on your table, the fact that there's money in your bank account, it's all because of God. That's, that was the message that God was trying to give to the Egyptians. Very interestingly, what happens as soon as Moshe Rabbeinu, so God instructs him to bring this plague upon the Egyptian people, what happens right away? The Khartoumim, the necromancers of Egypt, so they imitate it. They imitate this act of creating, taking the water, and turning it into blood. What, what's going on here? What are they doing? They totally missed a point. They totally missed a message. That's what's going on. It's amazing because God is coming and He's giving a message and it's the message is completely missed. And they say, oh, you think you can do something special? We can do the same thing. But they missed what was going on behind the scenes, what God's message really was. That was their mistake. I believe that this concept, this message, is something that's actually happening to this in this very day, in our very times. Because so much of us, so many of us, unfortunately, we get, we've been drawn after the Western world, and we start to believe that the way things are is the way they seem. And we don't understand that there's a much deeper level to reality. We believe that we need, in order to have security in our lives, we have to have money in the bank. We need, to, we believe that in order to have security for our old age, we have to have a pension. And we believe that all these things are guaranteed by the money that we've put away, or the money that we've invested. That's how we've been raised, that's what the culture around us tells us, and anyone who doesn't do that is crazy. How can you not have insurance? How can you not have money for when you're old? Who's going to take care of you? What about your children for their weddings? And what about your kids for their college funds? All these things are very nice, but they are completely connected. They're completely opposite from the Hashkafa, from the outlook of the Torah. The Torah teaches us, and we've been discussing this for a while in the Daily Dvar, the idea that you know how you get blessings, you know how you get money, you know how you get wealth, it's not by saving up and it's not by amassing more and more. The Torah tells us the exact opposite. The Torah tells us the way we get wealth is by giving to others. The more we give to others, the more we make ourselves into a kli, to a vessel, to be able to have blessings upon all of our other endeavors. The more tzedakah, the more charity we give, if it's 10% of our, of our income, if it's 20% of our income, whatever it is, the more money that we give, the more we get. Because what, what happens is we become a kli, we become a vessel through which God sends down His blessings to the world. Because 
because we're being we're giving our money away to others so God gives us more and he gives us more and the blessings come come on all of the other endeavors that we do so we think by putting money away and and putting it in a place where we're, where it's going to sit and collect percentages that we're going to make lots of money and that it's going to sit it's going to you know build up for us and we're going to have it but the message behind what's going on now I believe with the financial crisis is that there's a mistake here you guys think just like just like the or just like the Nile provided the Egyptians with their sustenance and they believed that it was a God so we have made God we have made a God out of our money out of our investments and we've put our we put our hopes in the wrong places and God has come and said listen you're making a mistake you put your money in a place that's not guaranteed you've put your money in a place that will not per se give you returns in the end the only place that you're guaranteed there's only one guarantee the only one guarantee in existence is God himself because God is eternal God is beyond time God is always here with us he's always involved with our lives if we invest in our relationship with God and we do what he says and he tells us how can we become rich Aser Bishvil Shatis Asher if you give Miser you become rich Aser Bishvil Shatis Asher the more you give the more you get it's also important that we realize that just like in Egypt so the the necromancers they didn't get the message they didn't get the story they didn't get what God was trying to say to them just didn't go in they said hey I'm gonna you know I can do that too I can also make water turn into blood they missed the point so the question we need to ask ourselves is what about us are we missing the point if there's a message behind everything that happens in our lives and it's, and that's what our sages teach us everything that happens everything that goes on in the world is a message for us if it's our personal bank account or the bank account of someone we know it's a message the message is that things are not always as they seem everything is from God everything that happens to us the good and the bad everything is from God so what is God telling us he's telling us that we need to depend on him and believe in what he teaches us through the tradition what he teaches us is the way to become rich to guarantee for ourselves a future the way is by giving to others by being involved in chesed kindness by being involved in giving tzedakah charity to others in the way that the Torah sets down in the way that we're taught in our tradition but if we see what's going on and we say, okay, so I can't invest nothing. Where can I invest now? Where can I take my money? Let me get my money out and invest it. Or where can I stick my money, put it into the mattress? Someone told me this story with a certain rich guy in a certain place, doesn't matter where, who he took out a million of the currency in that place. He is a very wealthy guy. He put a million and he took it and he put it in a room. He said, no one can touch it. I'm not giving any charity from this money, even nothing. I need to have my guarantee. This is what he says to himself. But it's a fundamental mistake because only the people who give are they guaranteed. The people who don't give, their money, heaven forbid, could disappear very easily. Coming back to the original question that we asked, the question was, why did power have to be shown? What was this lesson that had to happen? Why did Hashem have to have it to the point where power was going to send the Jews out? And I think there could be a lesson in here, here for us. Because while it's true that God could have miraculously taken all the Jews and placed them next to Harsin and next to Mount Sinai, but He wanted that the, the gava, the pride that was inherent to, to Paro, it had to be brought down. Because it needed to teach us this lesson that inside of every single one of us there's a little Paro, or maybe a big Paro. And this Paro is telling us, who's the God? I'm the God. Paro himself claimed that he was a God. 
I'm the God, I'm the one bringing in the power, bringing in the wealth, bringing in all the good things. We have this tendency to think that. Who's the God? The Nile's the God. My Parnassa, my livelihood, my job, my investments, these are the things that are giving me the money. That's a fundamental mistake. And Hashem wanted to be myriad the guy, but He wanted to bring down that pride. He wanted to show the Jewish people for all times that there's a mistake here. The mistake is when we start to believe that the livelihood, the Parnassa comes from anywhere but God Himself. When we're making that mistake, when we fall into that trap, Hashem is going to give us a, a gentle message. It's going to start off gentle. It's going to be, there's going to be blood. The, all the waters are going to turn to blood. But if we are going to be obstinate like the necromancers, we're not going to get the message. So then it's going to get a little bit tougher each time. Until finally we're forced to say, I uh, get these Jews out of here. That's what Paro said in the end. I admit it, there is a God. He is involved. Let them go serve their God. But we don't need to be like Paro. We don't need to be like his necromancers being obstinate. We can get the message now. We can say to ourselves, look, this is what's happening. God is trying to tell us that the only place that we can be botech, that we can trust, that we can put our dependence is only on Him. We can only trust Him and He tells us how. And if we come through at this time, if we come through in the clutch, it's very easy to say, oh, I have no money. How am I going to give charity now? I can't give my 10%. I can't give my 20%. It's too hard. I don't have so much income. But God Himself guarantees us if we take our 10%, if we take our 20%, whatever amount of tzedakah we can give, the money that we give will see it back. The money that we give will bring blessings upon all of our livelihood. It will bring blessings upon us and we'll be able to see that God is taking care of us directly. Because when we hook in directly to God and we do what He says, so then God brings down the Shefa, that influx, through us. Thank you so much for listening and have a very good Shabbos.